Uh, Acts chapter 10, please. And I'm going to read beginning in verse 34 of Acts 10. We're going to go through Acts 11, 18, although I'm going to summarize some of Acts 11 for us. So this is Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. Title of this morning's message is, When Cornelius Comes. When Cornelius Comes. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now to the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Now, what what Peter explains, if I can have your attention for a second, is, is, is basically all that happened in chapter 10. So how he had the vision, the sheet that came down, how God repeated it three different times, how God spoke to Cornelius through an angel to call for Peter, how Peter went, he preached the gospel, and then the Holy Spirit came when he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And let's plug back in in verse 18. It says, when they heard these things, so that's the Christians in Jerusalem, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. When Cornelius comes... Let's pray. Lord, 
We pray this morning as we stand on the, the threshold of this new year that you would meet us as we continue through this series, as we, as we encounter this most strategic, this most important moment in the book of Acts. Lord, we pray that you would instruct us, that you would guide us, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, that you would allow us to encounter you today through the study of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, since we're starting a brand new year, let's just for a second go back to Luke's opening words in the book of Acts. These are the words that launched this entire series in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, where Luke said, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, as we've already learned, the first book <clears throat> that he's referring to here is, is the, uh, the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke was the first book that, that Luke wrote where he dealt in that book with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And therefore, Acts <clears throat> represents something else, represents a companion volume, represents a record of what Jesus continues to do and teach in the world. So what we have embedded in the opening words of Acts is a kind of catalytic idea where God is at work in the field of the world. He's not retired. He's not disinterested. But he is in the world, hard at work, calling his people to join him there. And so the entire book of Acts is this story of what happens when God's people hear God's voice and join him in the field, join him in the world. It's what happens when we see his activity and join ourselves to what God is already doing, what God has already set in motion. See, the irony that we discover in the book of Acts is we, always, we oftentimes see ourselves and see the mission of God as bringing God to the world, only to discover once we arrive there that he's already there. And he's happy we arrived so that we can get to work as well. So we come to this place in Acts chapter 10, where Cornelius is in one place and an angel appears. Peter's in another place, and, and God drops this vision upon him. And Peter, while he ponders this vision, there's a knock at the door, chapter 10, verse 20. Cornelius and his guy, or Cornelius's men are down there. He says, the Spirit speaks to him and says, rise and go without hesitation with these men. And so he goes with them, stands before Cornelius, preaches the gospel, and the Holy Spirit falls. Once again, another example from the book of Acts where God is not at his desk doing nothing. He's not on the sidelines, uninvolved, but he's a kind of field general moving around the troops wherever they need to go, issuing commands to ensure that everyone understands the gospel, listen, both unbeliever and believer alike. So what's in view in Acts chapter 10 is not simply Cornelius and the conversion of Cornelius. This chapter and chapter 11 are as much about Peter as they are about Cornelius. And their response together, Peter and Cornelius, triggers an epic event in the flow of Acts, an epic event in Christian history that forever changed the way the gospel was understood for Christians. And that is this, this mystery that prior to this, that had been concealed, 
was now revealed in the Word of God. That the gospel is no longer simply for the Jews. That the gospel is no longer to be confined among those who were historically understood to be the people of God. That the gospel now breaks loose among the Gentiles. See, the significance of Acts chapter 10 is that this is the first time that the gospel is preached among the Gentiles. See, the story of Cornelius is much more than God's love for a single Gentile. It's the idea that God is already out there. He's already among the Gentiles, and he's calling to the Christians to come out and be there where he is. And and here's where we're going with all of this. See, to to go out there, to, to join God in the field where he is, requires seismic changes in people requires seismic, monumental changes, whether you are an unbeliever who doesn't know Jesus and is considering the gospel, or whether you are a believer who really needs to understand what the gospel means for you. So God is, has all of us in view as we read this section of Scripture. And that's good, because we need this as a church family. One of the reasons why we chose Acts is because we need to refresh ourselves on the reality of what it means that God is in the field and he's calling us to join him. Because we sense, we sense this together and we all want this, that that God is calling us out of a kind of cozy Christianity that that just gets comfortable and entrenched and and just wants to be all about the things that make us comfortable. Nobody wants that. Well, the good news is that the book of Acts is about God engineering events to move people out of their comfort zone, to move people out of their cozy cocoon that defines their existence and into the harvest, just like he did with Peter. And so what I want to do in the remainder of our time together is to look together at how God engineers this this monumental change, how he does it in Peter, and how he's going to do it in us as a church, how he's going to do it in you and in me. So I've got three different points I want to review with you. The first one being that God sends Cornelius to the Christian. God sends Cornelius to the Christian. He sends Cornelius to Peter. Now, this is going to be the longest point that I have of the three. You know, when we read this section of Scripture, it's common to understand the story as if the goal is simply about the conversion of of Cornelius. But to land there and to stop there is to miss an entire storyline that continues and goes beyond Cornelius all the way to Peter. See, God sent Cornelius to Peter. Remember from last week, chapter 10, verse 5, the angel appears. God says to Cornelius, send men to Joppa and go get Peter and have Peter come. So Peter comes, he hears Cornelius' story, and the lights go on for Peter. And Peter says in verse 34, oh, wait a minute, now I get it. God's not who I thought he was. God's not confined in the ways I thought he was. God wants me to think beyond my own people, beyond to think beyond my own tribe, and beyond my own church to those that are outside. See, we think this story is simply about God reaching Cornelius or about Peter reaching Cornelius. But it's also about how Cornelius reached Peter. 
See, this, this epic event in Christian history actually triggers two different transformations. For Cornelius, it comes through his, his conversion, where he hears the gospel and he responds to the gospel. But for Peter, there's a whole different kind of transformation that takes place. A man who already understands the gospel, who has submitted to the gospel, and yet he doesn't get the gospel in a way that moves him beyond the comfort of his own people. So for Peter, it comes through a clarity where the gospel switches flipped in his soul. Where he realizes, you know what? I always thought the gospel was like this. I thought, the God, I thought God was like this. But I see that God colors outside of my lines. The gospel is bigger than my group. It's even bigger than my world. And you can almost see the light bulb go on over his head in verses 34 and 35. It says Peter opens his mouth after listening to Cornelius, after hearing all this. And he says, ah, ding, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. See, Peter is beginning to get it. And the reader must get it as well. See, this is where we begin to realize that, that God isn't working in the field simply to get the gospel to Cornelius. We're going to talk about getting the gospel to Cornelius. In fact, that's going to be my next point. But God is also at work looking to impress the gospel upon Peter that he understands the full entailments of what it means to be a Christian. That he understands the full call and claim that the gospel makes upon us. Why? Because Peter was converted, but he still lived with these ideas that kept him very insulated in life. He lived with these ideas that rendered him unwilling to go to a people that weren't like him. Now, in the immediate sense, as we study through Acts, there is a sense where Cornelius, in this Acts chapter 10, represents the inclusion of the Gentiles in the gospel mission. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, the, the Acts is about the expansion of the gospel into the world. All of a sudden, the gospel is reaching the place where it's gone beyond Samaria. It's beginning to move to the uttermost parts of the earth. But there's something else included in here as well, where more broadly speaking, Cornelius represents the ideas, the assumptions, the ideologies, the prejudices, the bias that we have that we must overcome to go from where we are to where God has called us to be. See, to join God in the field, there's always going to be things that we have to set aside. There's always going to be things that we must shed, ideas we must sacrifice, assumptions that we have about those people that have to be overcome in order to get to them. And you know what? You have them. I have them. We all have them. Things that prevent us from seeing beyond our own world, beyond our own church, beyond our own tribe. So you know what God does? God sends Cornelius. Cornelius comes knocking. And when Cornelius arrives, God moves Peter out of the way, out of the way he looks at the world and he sees the world. And in, and in the narrow vision that he tends to see that God is like this, you know, you know for Peter, God 
operated within a set of boundaries, a code of conduct. There was a rule, a set of rules that God, that God operated for. And here, God is just blowing it apart for Peter. Because Peter operated with something that you and I operate in as well. There's a kind of ethnocentrism. Is that a word that's familiar to you? Ethno just means people, nation, group. Think about it as group. Centro means, you know, center. So an ethnocentric person judges other groups by their group. An ethnocentric person doesn't see beyond my group, my way of thinking, the ideas that we affirm, the, the group think that we have where one of us says something and we immediately nod because we believe the same thing. And it's the fact that we believe the same thing that puts us all in the same group together. See, when Cornelius arrives, God moves Peter out of the way of seeing the world through this narrow vision to recognize that there's an entire world out there that is not Jewish that he wants to reach. In fact, God is out there reaching them, working there, and he's inviting Peter to join them. And Peter didn't get it yet, but he's starting to get it through this experience with Cornelius. And when it comes to taking the gospel to people that lie outside of our comfort zone, or don't look like us, or are different, or think differently, there can be biases that run very deep. I mean, this is not the first time Peter has heard this message, by the way. The fact that he's saying in verse 34 of chapter 10, oh, wait, now I get it. Finally, I mean, God has been making this point with him throughout the book of Acts. In fact, Jesus picked it up far earlier in his ministry. In fact, if they wanted to go back and study the Old Testament, it goes all the way back to to Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham saying, I will make you a blessing to all nations. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Ever since the beginning of time, there's been this all nations perspective. But people don't see it that way. Even these Holy Holy Spirit-filled believers didn't see it that way. So God went into the field, beckoned them, called them, sent them Cornelius to push them forward, to push them out. Because there are certain tendencies that we all have towards insulation and selfishness, tendencies that only the mission of God can address. So what does God do? He sends us Cornelius. And he he wants us to join him in the field. But there are these things that keep us at home, that keep us in our own mind, that keep us in our own group. But when I say the field, I'm not talking about going to Africa or Asia, although that's a wonderful thing to do. I'm just talking about going into our neighbor's house or or to the guy who works next to us at work or, or to the family member that we've been reaching out to. There are things that keep us from joining God in the field. And I was just thinking about some of the things that keep me from joining God in the field. I was thinking there's several things. Here's a few of them off the top of my head. First, I don't have time. I don't have time. Life's too busy. You know, it's really easy to relate to our schedule as if our schedule is some kind of bandit that steals from us rather than something that mirrors our priorities. Because the reality is is that our our schedules reflect our priorities. And so how we spend our free time and the direction that it flows in reflects what we really value. And that's part of the 
the change that God wants to begin to bring in us. And it's part of what happens when Cornelius comes. Look at this quote by Henry Blackaby. He said, if you are God-centered, you will adjust your circumstances to what God wants to do. God has a right to interrupt your life. He, He is Lord. When you surrendered to him as Lord, you gave him the right to help himself to your life anytime he wants. So God is God will bring Cornelius along and he'll 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 put us in a position where we've got to begin to make decisions on how we're going to use our time. And our time, I don't, you know, if you're anything like me, my my time is like my I'd rather get hit in the wallet at times than get hit in my time. Recently I I I became so sick of realizing that yet another week had passed without making any time for the loss, that I I just realized, you know what, I I need to do something. I need to do something, even if it's poorly aimed. I need to do something. And so last week what I did is is, uh, talked with Kim, decided, okay, let me do this. So I wrote out an invitation for my neighbors to study the Bible on the subject of, of marriage. I don't consider myself an expert on marriage, but I might be less ignorant on that topic than I am on certain other topics. And so I wrote out a letter, and then I put it in the mailbox of about 40 or 50 neighbors. And the letter just said, hey, I'm writing because Kim and I want to try an experiment. We want to grow in our marriage in 2015, and we're wondering if there may be others who feel the same way. Sure, we've been married for 32 years, but we've got a lot of room to grow. So we're going to try a neighborhood Bible study in our home on the subject of marriage and the Bible and extend an open invitation to all of our neighbors to join us. We think this will be a great way to get to know some folks. We moved in here shortly shortly over a year ago, and we'd like to meet more neighbors, but also to study this topic with others who may feel need for growth in their marriage. So, you know how many responses I've gotten since them? Them, Since I submitted this to about 40 or 50 different neighbors, I've gotten about 30, no, wait, zero. (laughs) Zero. And you know what? I, I've got to be honest with you. I have no idea what I'm doing here. All I know is that each week I'm in this book and I'm, I'm studying it and I'm, I'm seeing God moving them into the field. And there's something that resounds within my soul that is so deep. I just want to do something that's going to move me toward the field. And I want to invite you to pray. Pray for me. Pray for Kim. Pray that somebody comes out. But even if they don't, it doesn't matter. We'll think of something else. I just want to be applying what we're all learning together. And I know I don't have time, so I've got to make time. So that's one that I've struggled with. I don't have time. Here's another one. I don't care enough. I don't care enough. I'm not not gripped by the stakes. I forget the reality of what I've been saved from. You know, there, there's a spiritual reality that plays out every day. There is a real, there's a real suffering that takes place in the lives of people all around us due to the lostness of their condition. What's more, there is a real wrath that they will experience upon death, and that real wrath will result in a real hell. That's real. But I forget that. I drift from that. I become ambivalent towards that. 
And you know what's so encouraging about this passage is that the good news is that God can do in us what he did in Peter, which is that he pushed him in the ways he would not have chosen to go by bringing Cornelius to him, and he can do the same for us. Listen, I want to encourage you. Start thinking about those people that you're considering interruptions right now as Cornelius coming, that person at work, that neighbor, that, that, that family member. Cornelius is knocking at your door, which leads to the third point, and that is that sometimes I don't see Cornelius. I don't see Cornelius. And, and one of the ways I think that we can begin to, to think about Cornelius coming will be in the guests that visit this church each week. And I, I want to I say something to you that I think applies to me as it, as it does, as, as much as it does to anybody here, and that is that I think we can, we can improve at how effectively we are reaching out and welcoming the people that come through that door. I apply this first to myself. I want to grow. I want to change. I think it applies to all of us, though. I was recently talking to a new person who made the comment to me that, that they were actually greeted more at Publix than they were at Four Oaks. They didn't say it maliciously. I felt both instructed and rebuked by it because I don't want that to be the experience of anybody that comes here as a guest. Now, our guests are sitting here this morning saying, oh, great, I came on the Sunday, they're encouraging guests. Now I'm going to be deluged on the way out. (laughs) I hope you are. I hope you are. Because we want you to encounter the love of God through the people here at Four Oaks. And if you're in a position where you can't befriend a neighbor right now or you can't reach out at work because the work condition doesn't allow that, why don't you just make it your goal to greet the people you don't know here at church? Maybe they're a guest, maybe they're not. But we begin to get oriented to recognize a world outside of ourselves because sometimes Cornelius is sitting right in front of us. You know, sometimes Cornelius can be sitting right next to us at church and we just don't see her. We just don't see him. And remember, if we're going to apply this strictly in the way that's applied in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius probably doesn't look like us. Probably doesn't have the same background as we do. Doesn't come from the same people that we do. And, and, and I think we have to appreciate, when it comes to greeting folks and welcoming folks, we have to appreciate the the courage that it takes for people from different countries or different races to visit a congregation that is primarily, well, I mean, look around. We're talking mashed potato white here. Rice white all around us. Now, how do you think it would feel for you as a white person to visit a church that was all Asian? or all Indian, or all African American, you would feel uncomfortable. There are people each week that are members of this church, maybe visiting this church. I mean, let, let's recognize that there are courageous steps being taken when folks like that visit this church, and let them feel our gratitude towards God and towards them. I, I read recently autobiography, didn't read the autobiography, but a quote from the autobiography of Gandhi, where, where he was telling a story of visiting a church where he walked in and the usher of this Christian church refused to seat him and said to him, why don't you go worship among your own people? And Gandhi walked away and he wrote this in his journal. He said, quote, 
if Christians have the caste system also, I might as well remain a Hindu. Now, what would have happened if if that church would have seen Cornelius coming in the form of Mahatma Gandhi? If they would have taken the opportunity to welcome, to listen, to receive, to honor? Well, let's, let's learn from their mistakes and let's receive Cornelius. Okay, so that's the first point. The first point is that God sends Cornelius to the Christians. Secondly, God God connects Cornelius to the gospel. I made that same mistake in the first service. God connects Cornelius to the gospel. So this is interesting. Cornelius arrives as a religious man. I mean, if you look at the description of him in Acts chapter 10, he is a moral man. He's called upright. He is a God-fearer. He gives alms generously. Equally impressive is that he is well-respected in the community. And if that's not enough, the guy comes to Peter having had a vision, not a vision, an experience with a live angel. Okay, like, like Mary had an experience with an angel, the shepherds. You're talking about an elite group of people here. But there's something that Peter understood. See, Peter understood that being God-oriented was not enough. Being spiritual, quote, was not enough. Being nice and well-liked and generous was not enough. Being moral and religious and spiritual, not enough. Even having an angelic visitation was not enough. Cornelius' life was incomplete. He needed something more. He needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, so Peter begins in verse 36 preaching the good news. He says, God anointed Jesus. Jesus went about doing good. He was crucified. God raised him from the dead. God made us witnesses. Because when he looked at Cornelius, he realized it was not enough to just be a moral man or a righteous man as is defined by the law or a spiritual man or a guy who tithed or a religious man or even having spiritual experiences like angels coming. He needed to hear the gospel. See, sometimes as Christians, we can think that the goal is to turn people into Cornelius. You know, let's just make them, let's just make them an improved version of what they are right now. A moral person, a religious person, a, you know, a tithing person, a, a church-oriented person, a kind of spiritual person. There's a lot of parents who make it their goal to parent their children into Cornelius rather than parent their children into the gospel. I mean, what would you say if I told you on the day your kid was born, hey, good news, your kid's going to be moral, he's going to be good, he's going to be upright, she's going to be spiritual, she's going to, be, she's going to have an, a, a visit from an angel? I mean, what you're saying, well, what more would I want? Well, we want Jesus followers, We want those who love Jesus Christ and understand why they need Jesus Christ. And that's why Peter was not satisfied that Cornelius was a good guy. He knew Cornelius needed the gospel. And God loves religious people so much that he pursues them and ultimately rescues them from their own righteousness, rescues them from the very thing they think causes them to stand approved before God. 
So that happens. He preaches the gospel to Cornelius, and then the remarkable takes place. Then something completely unexpected happens, something that had only happened in the past to the Jewish believers, and that is that the Holy Spirit fell upon them. The Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles, and the Gentile believers began to speak in tongues. See, this is a defining moment in redemptive history right here. Because what's happening in Acts chapter 10 is that God is repeating the experience for the Gentiles that the Jewish believers had back in Acts chapter 2. And, and God is proving decisively by giving the Gentiles the same evidence that they are in, that they're in. They're no longer outside of, of, of what God is doing in the world. They're in. That's why everybody's so surprised in Acts chapter 10, verse 45. They look upon the Gentiles who received the Holy Spirit. It says, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out, I love this word, even on the Gentiles. Even on the Gentiles. So there's this sense where what Luke is is chronicling here in Acts is that a new era has begun where God was now working among the Gentiles. The gospel had broken out beyond the Jewish believers. Ephesians chapter 2, God was breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that existed between Jew and Greek, between Jew and Gentile, between black and white, between fill in the blank. You know, Last week, I was talking to this guy that was a, he was a federal firefighter. And th- these are the guys that, you know, or women that, that fly into the, the worst fires in the country, and they just drop them in and say, okay, go, go, go put that thing out. And he was telling me stories about creating these, these, these fire barriers, these fire walls in the, as they were fighting these fires. But he was talking about how sometimes the fires were so large, the fires were so ferocious that the fires would jump the wall of the barrier they created. And as I was thinking about that yesterday, I thought, yeah, that's Acts chapter 10. That's exactly what's going on here. The Spirit of God is so powerful. The Spirit of God is so ferocious. The Spirit of God is so loving, so committed to every nation that He's jumping the wall. He's jumping the wall of the barrier that separates the Jews from the Gentiles. He's jumping the wall that separates the barriers from the black and the white. He's jumping the wall all around us. That's why R.C. Sproul once said of Acts chapter 10, this is one of the most important chapters in the New Testament. And, And this is the primary meaning, by the way, of them receiving tongues. It's not an evidence of the Holy Spirit's baptism. It's an evidence of the Holy Spirit's inclusion of them into the gospel promises. And I don't know if that, you know, if that creates any adjustment for you. I know it did for me when I first began to understand it. I've spoken a bit to you about my background, how 33 years ago I was converted into a charismatic context. And I was taught back then to seek for a second experience of the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what it was called, 
where the indispensable sign of receiving that baptism of the Holy Spirit was the gift of tongues. And, and eventually, that position actually softened a bit into a belief that receiving the gift of tongues with the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a common and immediate, but not necessarily a, a, but not a necessary evidence. In other words, it didn't need to happen all the time, but it often did happen. But here, here's the thing. I began to realize that my position on that was established based largely on reading through these different references in Acts without considering the context of Acts whatsoever. Without considering the context whatsoever. So I, I didn't realize, for instance, when I read Acts chapter 10, that there is this monumental message that is far larger than any person or people receiving tongues, and that is the message that the Gentiles are in. That God is simply doing for the Gentiles what he did for the Jewish believers back in Acts chapter 2. And the significance of the tongues is not to confirm that they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's to announce to the world that the Gentiles are in. Now, you know, just to be clear, I do believe in the gift of tongues. I'm just saying that the way to understand that, the way to ground that, to create an apologetic for that, is not to cobble together some different passages from Acts and present them as if it's an apologetic. Because what's happening here is that God is connecting Cornelius to the gospel. God is connecting Cornelius to the gospel, and he's confirming that the Gentiles are invited to the party. So that's the second point, that God connects Cornelius to the gospel, and then finally, God in the form of Peter, interprets Cornelius to the church. Peter interprets Cornelius to the church. Look at, look at chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. So, Peter returns, and he is criticized by the Christians who still don't understand. In other words, the Christians are kind of still in this ethnocentric, parochial, narrow, life is about our thing, God is about our thing, the church is about our thing. And so in verse 4, Peter begins to explain to them what happened. In other words, to interpret for them what God is doing. And in the course of chapter 11, he, 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 in verse 16, he goes back to the, to the Word of God. He, he tells them in verse 17 how that's applied. But my point is that he's acting as an interpreter for the church of what God is doing. So, so what I'm saying here is that Cornelius didn't rep, simply represent a change we must make, but he also represents a future that we must embrace because God going to the Gentiles was where the future was. And that was something that the church had to come to terms with. That was something that the Christians had to come to terms with. It was a future where God was doing something new and something different. You know, one of the the cool things about following Jesus is that he does new things and, and different things. I love that song that we ended worship with where God, where Christ is making all things new. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 5, behold, I make all things new. Think about where we're headed. We're headed to a new heavens 
a new earth. So Cornelius represents the beginning of this new thing that God is doing in the church, and God is calling Peter to perceive it. God is calling Peter to interpret it for others in the church. And this is, this is really important because one of the sad legacies of the church is, is the tendency of, for each generation to celebrate the work of God among us when we're young and then to demonize the next thing that come along, comes along that God is doing. You know, it, it's kind of like King Saul. We're happy to be crowned and ruled like a king in our time. But hey, when David appears, when the next thing appears, when the successor of this generation appears, or we're suspicious or we're jealous or like Saul, we're trying to kill them. See, for the church to move forward, it had to get Cornelius. It had to understand what Cornelius represented. It had to recognize that God is moving us beyond us, that God is moving us beyond our thing, our interpretation. And Peter had to get it. But to get it, he had to reject that God is only in the past, that God stopped working with us, with our thing. You know, if you're here today and you're over 50, I can speak to you because I'm over 50. I know that stuns you, but I'm over 50. Would, would you be known as someone who embraces and interprets Cornelius, the next thing God is doing? Or would you be someone who's more known to be entrenched, who opposes what God is doing? I think I shared with you a few months ago, uh, it's probably longer than that, but I was reading a book, No God But God by Oz Guinness, and he was talking about a historian and how this historian described the flow of God's work among his people. And he said it typically goes from a man, as a, a man to men, men to a movement, movement to a monument. Man to men, men to movement, movement to a monument. And the shift from movement to monument often exists because of the way we relate to the past and the way we relate to the future. In other words, the past becomes so important that we want to kind of memorialize it. We want to create a monument to it. God is always in the past for us, never in the future. And so we can relate to the past as if God stopped working there. That's, that, that was the end of it. And that means we need to protect that. We need to protect our thing. We need to protect what he did back then among us. We need to protect that and create a memorial to to that so that when Cornelius comes, he represents a threat to the past rather than God at work protecting the future, which is the reality of what Cornelius represents. And that's that's why the church needs interpreters like Peter, men and women who were part of the last thing, but live excited for the next thing that aren't deriving their identity from the last thing, but are willing to adapt to go on to the new thing. Folks that are not getting hung up on their preferences for music or, or pet doctrines or, you know, whatever it might be, preference on preaching styles or, you know, there's just an endless list of things that it could be. Folks, in other words, like Peter, who will apply the Bible and help the church understand what Cornelius represents. 
And this is the result, chapter 11, verse 18, where God says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Think about that. Think about that. They never heard that from Cornelius. The report came from Peter. Peter was the interpreter. Peter got it. And because Peter got it and conveyed it to them, they got it. And they got it for the same reason Peter got it. Because God was already there among the Gentiles. Because God God was already there with his number two pencil, kind of filling in the blanks and connecting the dots between the generations of the work of God. So, as you reach out to your one life or you seek to be a witness at the office or around the neighborhood or reach your family, remember, please remember, we're not, we're not pioneering something. We're not pioneering, you know, breaking into new ground and new regions where God isn't there. Uh-uh. God has gone before us, and he's already there awaiting our arrival. Let's pray.